We're going through the Beatitudes. We've come to the seventh verse of the fifth chapter. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Every Sunday we've looked at the Beatitudes. I've observed that we have here not a description of a collection of people who are disciples, some poor in spirit, some mournful, some humble, some merciful and kind, but what we have instead is a series of attributes and characteristics of one person. When commentary says it's divided into two, we have an outer characteristics of the outer path, those who are entering the kingdom, and then those of the inner path, those who are in the kingdom, and a description of marks of the citizen of God. In a similar fashion, I believe that we don't so much have a series of unconnected blessings here, but rather facets of one great, rich treasure and blessing which describes what life in the kingdom of God is like and what it's about. When we hear the Beatitudes, it's like listening to the exploration of a great musical theme. Like Bach's variations on a melody, different facets in the picture of this one great life with God and in God. We've also commented that the order is important, that the first declaration of the journey into the kingdom is the recognition that I need help that my problems are beyond me to solve. I need a Savior. And then secondly, not only that, but my problems are not primarily philosophical or sociological or psychological, but spiritual. My problems are sin. And because of that, no one enters the kingdom of God without poverty of spirit and without a mournful, repentant attitude. Thirdly, when this life is recognized and life is surrendered and let go. Lord, you take my life, you form it, you establish it. We have lives which are humble and not just doormats, but lives which are established in strength because they have understood who they are and whose they are and where they are founded. Strength under control, meekness, humility, which is also self-confident. And then it goes to a life which is focused and fastened like hungering and thirsting on the righteousness and purity and goodness and graciousness of God, which is to say his presence. And when that happens, we will be filled. This morning we're looking at the first of that second section, not so much characteristics which lead us in, but which describe citizenship of the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Just outside Washington, D.C., about three miles from the home in which I was raised, in a secluded, wild, wooded section of Maryland called Glen Echo, there is a rustic cabin in the woods, rather uncelebrated or unheralded except for one plaque. It reads, this was the home of Clara Barton, 
founder of the Red Cross. If you're anything like me, when you hear that name and whenever I stand before that plaque at that uh, national landmark so close to my home, images of ministry and mercy flood my soul. Clara Barton, the Red Cross, nurse to the wounded, crusader for care. Here certainly is a kind of epitome of a picture of compassion and kind-heartedness and concern and mercy. I think of that amazing frame at the end of the first half of Gone with the Wind when they thought movies still had, grand movies at least, still needed to be made with intermissions. And that first half ends with Melanie joining, Scarlet rather, joining Melanie to minister to the Confederate wounded and the scene goes from a close-up to a huge, sweeping telephoto lens of a whole vast sea of humanity being ministered to. It is deeply moving. With that in the background, perhaps the fifth beatitude seems at first not as radical, not as difficult to understand as the other. It appeals to our sense of kindness. We teach our children to be kind. It seems to make sense in the world in which we live. It certainly was not so straightforward in the world to which Jesus is speaking. Kindness is viewed by Romans as weakness, ruthlessness, toughness, strength, or the valued virtues. Show no mercy, take no prisoners, show no quarter. Several years ago, I had the privilege of being a guest speaker in the East and only met the host pastor momentarily before the service, and he was my host for lunch, and I got to know him better. He, he was as tall as me, but a big, hulking tower of a man. By the way, I want to be a public accountable here, I intend to be less of a hulking figure and that I'm in the midst of a diet, so watch the pounds melt away. But this host, uh, was, it wasn't blubber that was filling his frame. He was one of the biggest, tallest, strongest men in whose presence I had ever been. Found out that he was a high school football All-American and his sophomore year, the fastest man on the North Carolina State football team, and uh, I see some approbation there in the back, and I, uh, he was a part-time high school football coach in a region of the country where football, high school football, was king. So I asked uh, my host, what was the, what's the difference between playing really big-time high school football and big-time college football, and he didn't hesitate. He said, oh, at college they taught me to hurt people. This is the wisdom of much of the world. The race belongs to the swift. Survival belongs to the fittest. This is not by nature, at least in its fallen state, which is the only state that we encounter it initially. It is not by fallen nature a merciful, good news world. 
So on second look, the words, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, were perhaps more shocking to Jesus' listener than we might imagine at first glance. After 2,000 years of Christianity, the words may not have as shrill a tone to us now. They are perhaps what Eugene Peterson writes of something else in another context, but which can apply here. A rough stones worn smooth. But I believe the bites of the Beatitudes are not really as easy to accept as we might think. We forget what the language of cultures that have never known about Christ is like, and that real part of ourselves, which is not captive to Christ, is like. Khaled Husseini has written a new book many of us are reading, and the mountains echoed. In it, he once again gives a slice of life in Afghanistan, this time over several decades. And it shows the difficulty and ambiguity of life there, really everywhere and in us. The beautiful are empty. The heroes are in many ways morally repugnant. We see how hard and bare Human nature is known to be in a culture which has never been exposed to the character of Christ. One of the characters, young Abdullah, notes shortly before losing his sister, or rather really, Hosseini notes about him. He, quote, felt the vastness of the desert and of the true world for the first time and how easily a person could lose his way in it. Mercy is a rich biblical word. In the Old Testament, chesed, it means pity and compassion to reach outside of oneself. God's gracious, loving kindness is steadfast love. Here's the point. Throughout scriptures, old and new, it says that the characteristic mark with which God deals in relatedness to humanity is mercy. Mercy is the steadfast character of God's relationship to us. Psalm 89. My mercy will I keep forevermore. My covenant shall stand fast. So William Barclay describes the Hebrew word for mercy this way. It's the ability to get right inside the other person's skin, to see things with their eyes, feel, think things with their mind, feel things with their feelings. So as to get outside of the perimeter of our skin into someone else's. And mercy never concentrates primarily on the cost, though it is always costly, but on the need. The fact that mercy can be expended to create redemptive, transforming character. Jesus Christ, God, came into the world to get inside of our skin. In Grunewald, Switzerland, there is a chapel and a colony dedicated to lepers. And there's a famous triptych, one of those medieval three panels. And to the side is uh, John the Baptist pointing to the crucified Christ. I love that part of it. It's an elongated figure. But right in the center is Christ hanging on the cross, but his body is struck and shriveled and misshapen. And upon study of it, it is 
clear that he is so identified with the human condition that the Christ hanging on the cross is himself leprous. He has gotten inside of our skin to see and to think and feel as we feel. Merciful living is not painful, painless, but it is the way of Christ. Uh, I've said in one sense it is not natural and it isn't in our fallen state, but Stanley Hauervoss, a theologian I admire, has written a magnificent book in which he says the true state, because it's God's state in the title of the book, the true grain of the universe, the way the universe will be discovered to be truly and deeply in Christ is merciful and gracious, but because we do not experience it that way in our fullness, our first cry, the cry of the poverty of spirit is, Lord, have mercy upon us. Now, one of the reasons that mercy is so strange to us and so difficult to live is that an essential component of it is forgiveness. C.S. Lewis notes that forgiveness is often an unpopular and terrible task. He explains why. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I wonder how you'd feel about forgiving the Gestapo if you were a Pole or a Jew. We know something about how difficult that is, and what I think is one of the great books of the 20th century, maybe any century, Simon Wiesenthal's The Sunflower, The Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. Published first, I believe, in 1976, tells a story about how he, as a young survivor of the concentration camps, gets called into a hospital by a former Gestapo guard who wants forgiveness from a Jew. Wiesenthal sits by his bedside and listens to this haunting recollection of how the guard had participated in taking 300 Jews and locking them in a building and setting it on fire, and then he, with others, when anyone tried to escape, they would mow them down. And he said, "I, dying as he was, I do not want to go to my grave without forgiveness. And Wiesenthal sits in silence. and then stands up and leaves the room. And he ends the book by saying, what should I have done? The first edition had ten answers to that question, ten respondents. The most recent edition has over 52, I believe, theologians, political scientists, survivors of the Holocaust, Survivors of atrocities in Cambodia and Bosnia and China and Tibet. Unsurprisingly, almost all the responses agree with Wiesenthal. The almost, the only ones that suggest that forgiveness should be offered and must be offered were Christians. Don Brokaw was right, although two years ago he was terribly villainized 
and criticized for saying uh, that what Tiger Woods really needed was the resources of the Christian faith because it alone, among all the world religions, gives resources for forgiveness. He was right. Forgiveness does not mean that evil acts are condoned. It does mean that hostility and rejection and evil, while they cannot be erased, can be absorbed. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Of course, the appropriate response to this is, how can these things be? And Jesus responded to that very real cry of the disciples with, Human beings, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the turn is taken that God is the source of mercy, and we cannot give what we have, have not received. In the very next chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus says, 70 times seven. I think I've shared with you one of my friends at seminary who was also a creative writer. was writing when I knew him a short story about a fellow who had forgiven 490 times and he was just waiting (laughs) to pounce. Forgiveness isn't measured mathematically. That's not the point of Jesus' word. It is measured without scope. John Wesley once had a man to declare to him, I never forgive. Then Wesley replied, I hope you never offend. Christians have a mandate to forgive, but we also have an ability to forgive because it has been given. I do not think we can give away That's which we have not received, and it is a dangerous thing to change the order of Scripture. I am on dangerous ground here, but I do believe that it is also the fact that they will receive, they will, those who have been given mercy have received mercy. I uh, thought of my pastor friend in the East. I wondered how a big, tough, strapping man who had uh, experienced kind of sports violence at the upper echelons had become the gentle, sweet, humble, approachable, loving soul that uh, sat across from me from the table. I heard the rest of his story. In his sophomore year at North Carolina State, they were in a bowl game. The, The Dallas Cowboys were already there scouting him, not just the team, him. He was the fastest uh, back on the team. And then that next year, his junior year, he blew his knee out and his football career came to an end and his world turned upside down. He was not only a big man on campus, he was a big man in his small town, in all of the bars there, and his career was over, and he slipped into deep depression. He dropped out of school. He drank. He lay around. He said, I was lost. And then he uh, turned and pointed to the lady that was sitting next to him. 
and said, that lady uh, loved me and lifted me and introduced me to Jesus Christ and changed my life and everything about it. And because of that, what I thought was the end of my life was just the beginning. I was made new. I was remade. One of my favorite authors is Flannery O'Connor. She's a Pulitzer prize-winning fiction author from the South who most of her work is about a radical and rugged view of what the Christian faith is all about. In one of her stories, a grandfather, Mr. Head, is transformed. He is turned upside down by mercy, by grace. And in the most powerful written evocation of mercy that I have ever read outside of Scripture, O'Connor puts it this way. Mr. Head stood very still and felt the action of mercy touch him again. He understood that mercy grew out of agony, which is not denied to any man and which is given in strange ways to children. He understood it was all a man could carry into death to give his maker. And he suddenly burned with shame that he had so little of it to take with him. He stood appalled, judging himself with the thoroughness of God while the action of mercy And in the context of the story, it is explicitly the action of Christ. He stood appalled, judging himself with the thoroughness of God, while the action of mercy covered his pride like a flame and consumed it. He had never thought himself a great sinner before, but he saw now that his true depravity had been hidden from him, lest it cause him despair. He realized that he was forgiven for sins from the the beginning of time, when he conceived in his own heart the sin of Adam until the present, when he denied his grandson. He saw that no sin was too monstrous for him to claim as his own, and since God loved in proportion as he forgave, he felt ready at that instant to enter paradise. God is inviting you and me to a two-way conduit to receive and to give mercy. William Shakespeare, in The Merchant of Venice, says that uh, mercy is a two-way street. And blessed him who gives and him who takes. It blesses those who bestow it and those who receive it. It's possible to give mercy only with when we have received it. So think of your life before God. Open your life to Him. And let the action of mercy cover you like a flame and make you new. Living in Holy God, we are stunned by the variations on a theme of blessing, of your kingdom, of your presence, of what life with you looks like and feels like and bestows on others. Father, we are thankful that we can live lives with the real grain of the universe because in Christ we have been touched by a grace and mercy which can only be known there.
and which sets the world aright and can make us new. In Jesus' name we pray.